What's good? It's your boy Daylight. You're now tuned in with RealFansRealTalk.com. Bye, y'all. Welcome back to another live edition of Real Fans Real Talk in conjunction with the Sanchez Show. I know we're starting to live off a little bit later this evening, but uh, it was some good games we had to get in, get it, you know, and watch this afternoon. We wanted to be fully prepared for you guys when we came on the live today because uh, we had some we had some 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 wars and we had a couple of you know games where it's just like yeah, I don't know, and we had one big 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 upset. This might be the the upset. You know of the season so far <laughs> with this one, uh, you know I guess this was probably equated with the with the with the Steelers Bucks uh, upset a couple of weeks ago because that point favorite was so crazy. But uh, before we do get into that, let me introduce my co-host, the one and only legend in two games, Eric Sanchez. What's going on, man? What's really good, bro? As you mentioned, it has been an exciting day of football today. Um, you said we wanted to come to everybody a little later, especially since the Sunday night game is kind of the highlight of the week with two five and two teams. But we saw some great football and we did see a, a shocking upset in a one o'clock game. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, you know, first of all, shout out to, to Ryan. I see you already in the in, in the chat right now. What's good, man? We appreciate the, the love and support. And we definitely going to get to your get to your question uh, a little bit later on in the program. But we got to talk about the upset of the season this week. We've been talking about this game for actually for two weeks now, Eric, because we were trying to see if the if the Jets won last week against the Patriots, would that make any type of a difference this week against the Bills? Well, the Jets lost last week to the Patriots, and it still made a difference this week against the Bills. Um, talk to me about about the the, the Jets defense. First and foremost, before we get to the offense, and I'm gonna give you know, I'm gonna give the you know Zach Wilson, I'm gonna give him his kudos. Uh, my guy uh, Wilson, I'm gonna give him his kudos. But we gotta talk about this defense. Number one though, Sauce Gardner. He definitely bring, oh, yeah. he definitely bringing the swag. He definitely bringing the sauce back to to, to that position. Um, talk to me about this Jets defense, man. I love this Jets defense. I, I absolutely love it. I've talked about it all year. That to me, this is the foundation of what could become a special run with the Jets. They still need a lot of pieces to be an upper echelon team. And I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, put them in that conversation yet. They're six and three right now, but this defense and the way they've drafted and brought in the guys they needed here. You're talking about Quentin Williams. You're talking about CJ Mosley as, as guys that were previously on the defense, but you add a source Gardner. You added Jermaine Johnson. You bring in the, uh, uh, LaMarcus Joyner. You bring in all these guys who now have made this into a very good defense, along with Coach Sala, who had made a reputation for himself as a defensive coach in San Francisco. I love what the Jets are doing defensively. And you talk about Sauce today. We know about the pick, his second pick of the year. We've seen all the numbers all year, how he's been shutting down receivers that he covers in his side of the field. But his also his physicality. He has the pass breakup at the end of the game, but he has seven tackles today. So he's a cornerback who's not all finesse. He's not a guy who just wants to stand outside and play the pass game. He will stick his nose in there on the run game. He will get physical with receivers at the line of scrimmage. He's completely changing the tempo, I think, of this defense as well, as you mentioned, with the swag that he's bringing and the confidence that now Salah has in we can bring pressure because we have a cornerback who can hold his own out there and make sure that we don't get beat deep down the field. And Jermaine Johnson, another, another guy, like I said, who they drafted last year out of Florida State, he comes in today okay. and makes sack in this game. Quinton Williams was wrecking havoc on the inside. I like this Jets defense a lot. 
I think there's a lot of potential there. It was the shocker of the day. It's a game that we have been hyping up for about two weeks. But again, I love what I'm seeing from the Jets, man. And now this AFC East gets really interesting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, the Dolphins, <coughs> excuse me, Dolphins held on today against a Bears team that actually looked like a football team today. Uh, shout out to Justin Fields, but the Dolphins got the win. Now, you know, the Jets take this first game against against the Bills, which is, you know, that's going to be huge late come you know later on when we, when we talk about heading into into the playoffs. Uh, the Patriots got another win today. We know what they're capable of, you know, underneath Bill Belichick's tutelage. This defense is very competitive right now, and I'm gonna be honest with you, Eric. You know, we could be talking about a little bit of a toss up here, just if you know, because if the Jets can actually beat the Bills again. I know the Bills were missing some players, but you know we got to still give the Jets their, their respect because you know even with the you know the players that the Bills were missing on the defensive end of the football, this they they are still a better team than a fully healthy Jets team. But the Jets showed something today. They showed that they had a lot of heart. They had a lot of fight. They would not give up. They took this thing basically down to to the last uh, second. Um, you know, Wilson, I think he's going to be a future star in this league. He was making a lot of great plays for them. They were able to get uh, James Robinson involved in, in the offense today, not only running the football, but he caught a big uh, passing touchdown that helped the Jets, uh, you know, late, late on in that game. Uh, you know, you we're we, we going to have to start legitimately, you know, talking about this Jets team um, as far as being now – you gotta, you gotta, you know, give them legitimate playoff contender status right now. Oh, without a doubt, and um, you know, again, shout out to Ryan. We appreciate you, you know, locking in with us. But let's not get it confused. The Bills have been missing players in their secondary and in their defense for most of the season, right? They they haven't had a lot of their guys in their secondary all year. So I don't think that that changes anything today. I think what was really impressive for me, and as we talked about the defense to start off, the Jets held them to three points in the second half. There's a Buffalo offense that was ranked number one overall coming into this game. Josh Allen didn't throw a touchdown, but he threw two interceptions. Josh Allen had 80-plus yards rushing. Normally, when you get the combination of what they're able to do passing with that rushing, it's tough to keep up with them. The Jets held them to three points in the second half. You mentioned James Robinson. I thought it was a masterful job of play calling late in this game. They get the ball deep in their own side of the field. I think at the two-yard line, I believe it was. They got James going, got a certain physicality going right after Buffalo at that moment. He had some big rushes. Like you said, they were able to chew up a lot of clock and then kick the field goal to give him the lead. It was a different identity. I think in the past, this is a game that a Jets team would not have won. They would have found a way to lose it late. But this Jets team is a little different. They're kind of growing up and maturing before our eyes. And again, not to minimize just because Buffalo had guys out. This is what we've been seeing from the Jets defense all year. Because when they went to Green Bay, this is what we saw from them. You know what I'm saying? So I think we're seeing the start of something different with this Jets team. Garrett Wilson is an absolute stud. He had eight catches today. He's been amazing for them. Um, and I think Zach Wilson, the way he rebounded from last week, Bill Belichick kind of put the handcuffs on him. He threw in three interceptions. There were people questioning if he's the, re the right quarterback for this team moving forward. He came out today and played really well and proved that he is the guy for this team. No, um, absolutely. Um, shout out to Wilson. I, you know, I got him. I got him in the trade in fantasy last week, so I was hoping he could have got me one more catch to get that eight. You know, get to hundred yards receiving on the day. But I like this kid. I like the chemistry that they're building between him and Zach Wilson. Um, obviously, you know, we know they lost uh, Brees Hall for the season, 
but I like the running game. Michael Carter played very well today. He had a couple of really big runs that really helped the Jets solidify this win. And then again, James Robinson followed that right up um, with, with, the, with the solid performance, you know, for him to just still kind of be getting acclimated to this offense. And again, that big catch that he made, you know, that touchdown catch, if, if, if you're a Jets fan, you should be sitting pretty right now, uh, you know, because you you looked very good against arguably the best team in the AFC who also happens to be in your division, and now you're up 1-0 over the Bills on the season, which is going to, to mean a lot later on when we start really talking about playoff rankings. Well, it's, it's huge, as you mentioned. Um, they get the rematch with Buffalo in four weeks. Uh, next four games for the Jets. Right now, they're six and three. Their next four. Next week, they get a chance to avenge the loss of the Patriots. They do go to New England, which is going to be a marquee matchup. Um, the whole division is over five hundred right now, which is phenomenal when you think about it. Uh, with with some of the other teams having quarterback issues, Buffalo's the only one that's had real stability at the quarterback position. But the Jets didn't start with Zach Wilson this year. Uh, the Patriots have had to go back and forth with Mac Jones. Uh, at one point, Miami was down to their third string quarterback, and yet somehow every team in this division is over five hundred. But to the point of the Jets, next week they're in New England. Then after that, they get a Bears team, as you mentioned, which the Bears have looked very good the last couple of weeks. I know the win-loss record won't show that, but another 30-point performance. And Justin Fields is starting to grow into his own right now, I think. They get the, the, the Bears after the Patriots. Then they got a tough game against Minnesota in Minnesota. And then they got to go to Buffalo. So three of the next four are on the road. But I do want to highlight this, as you mentioned. They're 1-0 against Buffalo. They're 1-0 against Miami. And the Jets are 4-0 and on the road. Those are the makings of a playoff caliber team. Elite defense, being able to run the ball and winning games on the road. The Jets do all those things. I agree with you, Trip. I think the Jets are a legitimate playoff team. Yeah. Um, quick question before we before we switch over to, to, to the next game. Um, can the Jets rebound from the loss they took two weeks ago at home to the Patriots and win this game? Because this is going to be just as important of a game as, as this Bills win was. This next week is going to be very important because they already lost once to New England and you don't want to go down 0-2 against a division rival on the season when you're talking about fighting for a home uh, field spot in the playoffs. Yeah, it's a very important game. Um, I think, and, and actually it's, uh, I think I think the Jets get the bye week next week. So I'm just checking it out right now because I wanted to see what the opening line was on that. Yeah, the Jets get the bye week. So it's actually in two weeks um, that they play at New England. The, there's no line on it, but they can go in there and and win that game. I don't think the Patriots are unbeatable. However, I do think that it's going to be a tough matchup for them because Bill is going to come with the game plan. Bill has always given Zach some problems. Zach's going to have to find a way to take better care of the ball. I think it will be a more competitive game than the first time, but I still would give the slight advantage to the Patriots just because of what Bill Belichick has been able to do to Zach Wilson in the prior meetings. Yeah, um, I, I I agree. I still, I still have to give the edge to the Patriots, just because I, you know, the mind of of Bill Belichick is something remarkable. So I, I I always give him a chance in these games. I will say this though, the Jets having this bye week is actually the perfect thing for them coming into going into that Patriots game because now you have two weeks to figure out where things went wrong a week ago in that loss to the Patriots and try to change things up. Obviously, you know, we know Robinson 
is is really still getting acclimated to the offense, but he'll now have two weeks to work with with the first team, get those reps up, get the playbook down. So I, I like the Jets' chances. Right now, I'm going to say 50-50, to be honest with you. I got to see what the Patriots yeah. do next week and then, you know, following up with that with that performance because we still have to see. We haven't seen the consistency that we saw from Mac Jones his rookie year this season. I know part of that is due to the injuries, but I still want to see that consistent play from Mac Jones. We know playing in a Belichick system, you know, it, it kind of is like a cheat code. For for some for some guys, but I still have to see it first. And again, that's an Alabama guy. So me, me saying this is is really you know me giving him that harsh criticism. That's my guy, but I still want to see that that level of consistency. Um, with that with, with that being said, I want to talk about the only undefeated team left in football, the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Eric, is this team the real deal? I know we spoke about. Schedule and the strength of schedule in the past, but um, they made a big move on the defensive end a couple of weeks ago, bringing over Robert Quinn from the Bears. Uh, the offense is clicking on all cylinders between AJ Brown. It's like every day one of these a different guy has a monster week. It might be AJ Brown this week. It might be Jalen Hurts. It, it, you know, it, it, it might be uh, Miles Sanders. It, everybody is taking their turns uh, with the, with this team. Are the Eagles the real deal? Are they the best team in the NFC? Are they the best team in football? They're the best team in the NFC. I think clearly the best team because they've been the most consistent team. Every week we know what we're going to get from the Eagles. We're going to get explosive offense. We're going to get good defense. They're going to make the plays when they need to make them. I think the most impressive thing Thursday, you know, it's, it's the it's the Texans. It's not a good team. They were expected to win. But it was the way they did it. They dominated the game. They controlled the game. There was no letdown on a short week which is really the, the only opportunity I think the Texans would have had to even be competitive. But in a short week, the, the Eagles showed there was no distractions. They handled their business. I think they're clearly the best team in the NFC. Um, I think it's going to be a few weeks before we even see them really be tested because they got the commanders um, next week. Then they've got the Colts after that. Then they've got uh, Green Bay. So I know we're going to get to Green Bay in a second. You're talking about three teams that the Eagles should beat pretty easily before they get to a little tougher part of their schedule. But for the people who say, well, look who they played, that's all you can do. All you can do is beat the teams on your schedule. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't apologize for, hey, this is who we had. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, there's certain teams that you don't expect to be that good. No one, when they saw the schedule at the beginning of the year, thought the Packers would lose to the Giants and Jets, right? But those teams are better now, and the Packers aren't that good. So you play who's on the schedule, you handle your business, and then you see where it lies. For me, the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. Not quite overall. I still like Buffalo a little bit more than them, and I still like Kansas City more than them. But if we're taking bets on who to come out the NFC, I think it's the Eagles. Yeah. Um, as much as, you know, as I probably will, I won't ever say this to any of my friends that are Eagles fans. Right now, I would have to say the Eagles are the best team uh, in the NFC at least. I, st- listen, I, still, I still think that the 49ers are very close, but the 49ers have to get healthy. We know they're a different animal when Debo is on the field and when they're off the field. So I really want to see them start to build up that level of chemistry with everybody on the field consistently, really incorporating uh, Christian McCaffrey with all of the things that he can do, all of the things that that Debo uh, can do. So I, I, you know, I still I'm still having them at one A one B, but I'm going to give Philly the edge for right now. Um, but yeah, as far as and then as far as in the league goes, I. You know, even 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 with the Bills taking this loss today, 
I still don't put them ahead of Buffalo. I still don't put them ahead of Kansas City. And um, depending on how how Roquan Smith got Baltimore <laughs> looking uh, on Monday on Monday Night Football, I I might have to drop them down a little bit further on on the totem pole. But we're gonna wait for Monday Night Football to uh, to see how how that uh, acquisition pans out. Uh, you mentioned. Uh, I want to say this really quickly. Hold on, I know, I know we're gonna get, I know we're gonna get off the Eagles in a second. I want to say this really fast though. I think what makes the Eagles special, and I, again, people want to knock the schedule, but what makes them special is their ability to beat you with the pass or the run. Because coming into the season, we didn't know what Jalen Hurts was really going to be. Now that we see how consistent he's been as a passer, mm-hmm. they're a different team, and now there's a certain explosiveness with that offense that we weren't expecting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, you mentioned Green Bay. We got a we got a question in. Shout yo, shout out to the support system, man. The fans been rocking with us on these lives. I love that y'all sending in these questions, being interactive with us. Uh, Ryan want to know what's going on with uh <laughs> with Aaron Rodgers. Ryan, I'm a, I'm gonna tell you this personally. I don't think that there's anything wrong uh with Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers is still Aaron Rodgers. I think he's still that you know MVP caliber quarterback he was last year. But when you add in uh, the fact that he doesn't have any of of his his receivers or any good receivers anyway, he went from having Devonte Adams, who is one of the best wide receivers in football, and I mean last season and even still into this season, you could argue that that he's is the best wide receiver in football. Um, but when you take that away from from a quarterback and the the levels of, of wide receiver skill sets that came after Devontae Adams on that uh, Packers roster is, you know, basically a bunch of fourth string guys. It's basically a bunch of fourth string guys, and they got a top they got a top level uh, running back in uh, in Aaron Jones. But as far as their receivers go, their tight ends, you know, no disrespect, but those but those guys they're, they're horrible. Like I said, they're they're fourth in the in the pecking order at best. We saw the difference a Top tier wide receiver can make for quarterbacks like a like a Josh Allen. Um, you know we we see we see that how that goes, but we also see how it goes when you take away a top tier wide receiver from an elite quarterback. You know, and also you know with Green Bay, we know they haven't done their job at bringing in new receivers, helping out Aaron Rodgers with with that offense. So they didn't have anybody who was even close to being a number two wide receiver. Uh, you know, to replace Devontae Adams. So, yeah, obviously, you know, they're going to look bad. The defense wasn't wasn't great last season. You know, it hasn't that hasn't hasn't improved and the offense is is even is even worse. So, yeah, you know, I, this is the year he should be having. He's having a down year. There's nobody out there to help. Listen, man. I'm I'm going to say this. Uh I'm not giving Aaron Rodgers a pass this year. I'm sorry. I'm not. And <laughs> This was several years in the making, all right? At one point, I think we all sided with Aaron Rodgers. We all felt kind of like you mentioned, Trip. You guys really haven't invested the draft capital or the free agency uh, money to go get him the weapons. I get that. But a couple years ago, he made a big stink and wanted a little bit more control. And he got that control. Remember, he kind of restructured his deal and he had them bring in Randall Cobb. He wanted a little more control over uh, Matt LaFleur's play calling and what they do offensively. And they did that and he won an MVP and he got praised for that, rightfully so. But then he chose to take a massive contract 
which he knew could hamstring them and being able to re-sign Devontae Adams, which is ultimately what happened because Devontae Adams wanted to be paid like one of the elite receivers in the game, which he is. So now this is what you get. And we've seen other quarterbacks who don't have elite level talent still be successful. So you've got to find a way to make it work with what you have. They are three and six. He threw three interceptions today, two of those in a red zone trip. We can't ignore the fact that he's not playing good ball either. And I don't think it gets any better for them. I think their season is done. They are not making the playoffs. They're not having a winning season this year. As you were talking, Trip, I started smiling. I don't know if you saw me in the background because I looked at these games and I want you to stop me or anybody who's watching. You could comment in the comment section. Stop me when you hear a game that you think the Packers could win. Okay. Starting next week, they host the Dallas Cowboys. After that, they host the Titans, who play tonight. We'll learn more about the Titans tonight. Then they got the Eagles. They got the Bears. They got the Rams. They got the Dolphins. They got the Vikings. Then they end the season against the Lions. That's their last seven games. What's that? What's that? You're probably uh, going to say the Lion game. What's that Bubba Sparks song? It's going to get ugly. <laughs> it's going to get real ugly for, for, for the Green Bay Packers. In here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And that's their last, again, that's their last eight games of the season. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers cannot be excluded from the criticism because he has not played well. I also think there's been a stubbornness from Matt LaFleur to want to continue to air it out, knowing, as you mentioned, we've got a lot of young, inexperienced receivers. Yeah. We've got to find a way to get those guys confident. We just can't throw the ball the way we used to and then expect these guys to do it because Christian Watson and, um, Romeo Dobbs are both rookies. So you're expecting those guys to give you the production that Devontae Adams gave you. They can't just get on the field and do it that way. You got to slowly build them in. I see the comment here talking about the Giants, right? But but look at the Giants. We don't have any receivers and look good. You're absolutely right, Ryan. And as Tripp and I both said, that goes to coaching, understanding your personnel, understanding what I have, what are my strengths. Green Bay has two quality running backs. They should be a run-heavy offense. But instead, they still rely on Aaron Rodgers to throw the ball 30-plus times a game, and that's why you're 3-6 and six at this point. Yeah, you know, shout-out to the Giants, man. Shout-out to Ryan. I like how you you know, you, you said that, there, Eric, that, that coaching is, is really good. The Giants. Oh, of course. And the Giants play, play defense, too. So, you know, that's the, that's the, the, the other thing. I, I think, I think if when you look at – the Giants play amazing defense. But I think when you look at the, the surprising teams of this year – the one thing they all have in common is how well they've been coached mm-hmm. and understanding their personnel. Brian Dable, what he's been able to do with that offense. You look at the Seahawks won today. Nobody thought the Seahawks were going to win six games, let alone be six and three. I think Pete Carroll deserves a lot of credit for what he's doing with Geno Smith right now. He got Geno Smith looking like a Pro Bowl quarterback right now. Yes. No one saw that coming. And we talked about the Jets. You look at what Robert Sala is doing over there. Remember he made the comment, I'm keeping receipts and everybody laughed. Well, now he gets to take his victory lap. Yeah. Show them receipts now because all the people that was laughing is now looking at the Jets like, wait a minute, the Jets could win this division. Yeah. So coaching matters in this league. Matt LaFleur has got to do a better job with the Packers. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, and, and and again, I feel bad. You know, I do feel a little bit bad for, for you know, for Aaron Rodgers, but you did it to yourself, man. You did. You could have you left and you chose to stay there knowing that they weren't going to help you you know, out on the offensive end of the football. We know they weren't drafting no receivers for you. They ain't been drafting no receivers, and you still, you know, chose to stay there. I understand the check is a lot of money, but, yeah, so you, you can't really get, get mad now. 
you know, because I fifty million is a lot. Though I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna hold you. I probably would take fifty million. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, listen, Aaron Rodgers has made a lot of money in the game, yeah, and no, at no, this absolutely. point in his career, at this point in his career, no different than what Breeze experienced with the Saints and what Brady before he left New England and even in Tampa. You can leave a little bit of money on the table to make sure you have the weapons. Yeah, he it, did it have to be a forty plus million dollar a year salary? No, you you telling me he couldn't survive off thirty million a year? Yeah. Leave a little money so Devontae could get his. Yeah, absolutely. I, listen, I I agree with you a thousand percent. He he made his bed and now he he is going to have to lie in it, however bad it may be. And and judging by the schedule, it is going to to get very bad. So I, let's let's start planning. Was it start planning for next season? <laughs> I think that's yeah. Start looking. Yeah, he ain't got to worry about what they're gonna do with the with the pick next year because it's gonna be a high one. Yeah. So it's gonna be somebody good coming in there. Um. I, I don't know. I don't even know what, what they do with Aaron Rodgers. I guess that's a conversation we have for for later in the season. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, let's let's really quick. We're gonna we're gonna make this one quick. We're gonna the 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 snooze fest game of the week <laughs> between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Los Angeles Rams. The two uh, Super Bowl champions from the past two years uh, are both now kind of bottom of the barrel teams. I know both teams. Well. On the Bucks side, they're dealing with major injuries. On the Rams side, they're just dealing with loss of a, a couple of their key players that really made the made the difference. Oh, man, but this, you know, I don't know because they both teams were bad today. Obviously, I guess you know if you know the Rams, they they you know they they, they pull off the get the W in in this situation or or the Buccaneers, but. They're both they're both really bad. No matter who wins this game, both of these teams have been well, have been horrible this season. Which team is, is, has been the worst though? Well, Ed, shout out to Ryan because I was just about to say it. I, I'm watching the game on my phone as we're speaking. That's why I keep looking down. Uh, Tampa Bay has just scored with nine seconds left, and it looks like it's going to win the game. Um, <laughs> Tom Brady brought him down, and Tom, uh, I believe, passed another milestone because I believe that's a uh, hundred thousand completions for him. Okay, I got to double check on that. Uh, cause there's, there's, yeah, like I said, I apologize. I'm, I'm looking at my phone. So the alert is coming through as I'm trying to watch the game at the same time. Uh, Tampa Bay is up three with nine seconds ago as Tom took him down the field for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But, um, in terms of who's been worse, I, I think it has to be the Rams. I, I think we all knew Tampa Bay was going to struggle this year because of how much they had lost on their offensive line. Yeah. You know, three fifths of their line wasn't going to be there. Um, we knew Chris Godwin was going to need some time to work himself in, and we also knew they weren't going to have Gronk. So we expected some struggles offensively. If they win this game, they get to four and five. They tie Atlanta for the division, um, and they have the tiebreak over Atlanta. So I think they're kind of where we thought they would be, though I don't think we thought they would lose to Pittsburgh and Carolina those back-to-back weeks, but they're still kind of what we thought. But for the Rams, for the Rams, the Super Bowl champs, the way they've struggled really offensively Sean McVay is an offensive mastermind but for the way they have struggled I think that's the most surprising thing for me because week in week out these are the type of games we see them play where they're struggling just to get to 20 points and I don't think anyone saw that coming at the start of the season you thought with Cooper Cup you thought with some of those running backs and some of the things that McVay is able to do that they would at least be able to offensively score some points they haven't been able to do that the defense hasn't looked sharp sharp either they to me have been a, a bigger surprise and disappointment yeah, um, and and listen, you know, at the end of the day, last season, 
we knew what we knew what what LA was doing. They 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 were bulking up. They they was they was juicing. <laughs> they brought they brought they in, went all in. They, yeah, they went they went all in last season, getting pretty much everybody that they could. You know, I I love what you know Odell Beckham being on the team. They they had a really good core of guys. You were also able to bring over Von Miller, and they got the job done. So I'm not even really that mad at them this season for the way they're playing because I know they put everything into last season and they got the championship and that's what we what we doing is for. Obviously, you know, we there's a salary cap in football, so you can't always just maintain the type of roster that you would like to maintain, even if you're in a big market city and the team could afford it, that salary cap stops stops a lot of things. And unfortunately they fell victim to the salary cap. Uh, you know, you got all these guys, you know, under big contracts, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, uh, you know, Cup is getting money, Stafford is getting money, and it's hard to 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 compete with yourself, basically. It's hard to compete with yourself because you don't have access to the financials that you may have had a year of a year ago. And let's say like the difference between a team like the Rams and a team like the like the Eagles, a lot of those guys are young. On on, on 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 smaller contracts, so yeah, you can kind of now build up with the Rams. A lot of those guys were seasoned vets in their prime, all on big contracts. And once that, you know, once you reach your maximum point, and you can't bring guys back, you can't afford to bring you know Von Miller back, which we both have agreed that probably was the biggest loss that the Rams faced this season. You know, it it, it becomes it, it gets tough. You know. As far as the Bucks go, they're just dealing with a lot of injuries. I think, you know, that offensive line, Ryan Jensen is a huge loss. That's an all-pro uh, guard that, you, that, you're, that you're missing out on right now. And, you know, Brady, Brady needs that. He needs a little bit, of, little bit more time <coughs> in the pocket. Obviously, we just seen him make, <laughs> make do, get down the field in the last couple of seconds to take the lead in this game. But, you know, you're dealing with, like you said, no more Gronk in the lineup. You know, one of the big acquisitions on offensive end, which was supposed to be to help fill the void that Antonio Brown left on the team, which was Julio Jones. He's probably finished, and that's my guy, but he's probably, you know, he's at the latter years of his career. He can't he can't stay healthy. He can't stay on the field. So that's going to be tough for those guys. Godwin has not looked like himself this season. We know Mike Evans missed the game earlier this season because of the suspension. So they've been dealing with a lot. Uh, Shaq Barrett just went out for the season a couple – Two weeks ago, he was he was done for the season. So, you know, they just don't have the actual manpower on the field. They got the guys locked in on the roster because, remember, we, we wondered uh, last year how they were able to make everything work and bring those guys back after they, uh, yeah. they won the Super Bowl. But they actually finessed the system yep. and did it. Um, they just have to get healthy. That's, you know, for, for them. Now, fortunately, yeah. they're in the they're in the South, so they may have a chance to still stick around. Especially, you know, this was an important win for them, and the South is so fickle. You know, with the Panthers and the Saints, really not having any type of go to quarterback that's feasible. So they still have a chance, but yeah, I think for the Rams, it's over with. Yeah, I, I think Tampa. This this could have potentially been a must win game. I mean, if they lose this game and go to three and six. Um, it would have been very tough, a very tough road for them to get back in the mix of making the playoffs. Winning this game instead, you go to four and five, you keep yourself kind of in the mix. Like I mentioned, you're still tied with Atlanta for the division right now, and you figure it out. But just a just a couple things 
um, I want to mention about this game because without looking at the numbers, Trip, I said to you, remember, as we were starting, I said, I'm watching Tampa and they just look so bad offensively, mm -hmm. right? Tom Brady threw the ball 58 times today, which is not the recipe they want. They don't want – and think about it. They scored 16 points. They scored 16 points. We're not talking about a shootout where they went for 40 points and he threw the ball 58 times. Yeah. He threw the ball 58 times. Trip, I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say a number to you that you're not gonna believe. Okay. If and not even, I'll, I'll change it. Even I'll, I'll change it up for you. He threw the ball 58 times. What do you think he was averaging per completion? I want to say six yards. Four point eight. Jeez. I mean, if that if that's not the definition of dink and dunk, I don't know what is. Tom yeah. Brady was trying to do everything he could to win today. <laughs> 58 yeah. times a year averaging just under five yards per completion. Yo. Uh, when you look at his, his leading receiver today was some some dude named Otten. I never heard of this dude ever, and I watch football every Sunday. Um, but Mike Evans, Mike Evans went out of this game, it looked like with a rib injury. Chris Godwin caught seven passes for 36 yards. That's yeah. dink and dunk. Um, their leading runner today was uh, White with eight carries for 27 yards. Mm -hmm. Leonard Fournette, apparently he's still working himself into game shape, and I love Lenny, but nine carries for 19 yards? Wait a minute. That's not oh, what oh, they... Wait, hold on. What week are we in? This is week nine. There ain't no damn working yourself into game shape no more. That's over with. I, that's all I can assume because that... Listen, for a, for a guy as skilled as Leonard Fournette, Nine carries for 19 yards. That's I, I gotta assume you're still working yourself in a game shape. I, I that's all I can assume. Point being, though, Tampa Bay literally they clawed their way to a victory today. This is not a recipe for long term success. And again, a win today salvages their season. I, they're still not a contender, they're not in the mix, they're just still on life support. For the Rams, it might be over though, because the Seahawks look very good. And we both have the 49ers as a legitimate contender in the NFC. I think for the Rams, they're done. And you mentioned the Von Miller um, loss, which we both felt was going to be great for them. But I think what hurts him even more is that they chose Bobby Wagner over Von Miller because they could have brought Von Miller back. And instead, they went after Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner has not contributed what they thought he was going to bring to that defense. Yep. And so it's, it's kind of twofold. It's like we lose Von Miller and then we replace him with a guy who has not contributed in a way that we at least expected. Yeah. Um, shout out to Ryan again. He's asking us about the coaching staff uh, in Tampa. I like Todd Bowles as a coach. The thing is, but you know, and again, a lot of the stuff that we just mentioned, people are going to have to realize Todd Bowles doesn't have the same uh, Bucks team that they had two years ago when they won a Super Bowl or even a year ago. You know, guys, when you look, when you look at Rob Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski is probably the greatest Titan of all time. If you look at his numbers and what he was able to do and the amount of time he was able to do it, I was looking at the list of receptions for a tight end uh, and touchdowns the other day, and Rob Gronkowski's numbers pretty much blow everybody's out the water with the exception of Tony Gonzalez, and we know the tenure that Tony Gonzalez had in football. But Rob Gronkowski is an absolute game changer. Okay, he's no longer there. That has been Tom Brady's security blanket for maybe 10 years. That's one. Two, Antonio Brown. Love him, hate him, however you feel about him, his antics off the field. 
Antonio Brown is an all-time great wide receiver. You don't have him anymore, okay? Leonard Fournette, who was looking like a beast, you know, for 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 the past two seasons, Eric says he's he's still getting himself in the game shape. I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> I can. That's all I can assume. Okay. If you're running for 19 yards. If you are the starting running back running for 19 <laughs> yards, I got to assume that you're still trying to get yourself in shape. Okay, so Leonard Fournette is still getting himself in the game shape. Godwin, again, he has not looked the same since early last season. He's missed a lot of time, and coming back this season, he's not looking like the Chris Godwin that we've come to know and love. Okay, Mike Evans, again, we had a suspension earlier. Then when you add in the injuries to Shaq Barrett, who's one of the, the, the top defensive players in this league, Ryan Jensen, who's one of the top guards in football, none of these guys are, are here anymore. The secondary has been banged up this season. So I don't want to just be like, oh, you know, the coaching is bad, because I think Todd Bowles is a great coach. I really wish that he had this Bucks roster healthy uh, because – you know how it is. You know, you know the brothers don't really get the shot, get, get those head coaching nods like that. So the fact that he he was able to take over the job for the Bucks, but now they're losing and looking like this, it's going to fall on top balls. He's going to get a lot of the blame because he's the head coach, and and a lot of people are going to look past all of the things that myself and Eric have have been mentioning in regards to that Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. But if as far as the coaching goes, I think Todd Bowles is a great coach. I just would like for him to have a healthy roster so we could really see his potential and what he can do. And I'm going to take it a step further. You mentioned all the injuries. I don't think Antoine Winfield played today either. No, I didn't see him out. on the field. He's been out too. So, and, and that's a Pro Bowl caliber. Right. That's a Pro Bowl caliber do it all safety for them because they like to use him as a slot corner on third down. Mm -hmm. So he's a guy that gives them a little more versatility. But I'll take it a step further. Uh, Todd Bowles walked into a very tough situation. One, Look at the timing of when Bruce Arians walked away from this team. It was right before draft night, and Todd Bowles was then handed the keys to a team that was in a little bit of, of dysfunction because Brady wasn't even sure if he was coming back. At that time, we still looked at Tom Brady as being retired, and then Brady comes back. You also had the kind of back and forth with Byron Leftwich potentially leaving. He had the Jaguars job. Then it was like, no, he doesn't have it, so now he's coming back. So you have all this kind of turnover within the coaching staff where you're trying to get everything back settled. Then you get the injuries thrown in there. Now you get everything that's been taking place with Tom Brady's personal life. These are all distractions that are very tough to overcome in the middle of a season. Mm -hmm. So I think Todd Bowles has done the best he can. Defensively, Todd Bowles has been a great defensive coach. And the defense has still been pretty solid. Again, they only gave up 13 points today, even though they're missing two key figures of that defense. Yes. So he's done the thing, the best job he could do under the circumstances of what's taking place. I think we could better evaluate Todd Bowles probably in another month or two. If they're still competitive and they're still hanging around with possibly making the playoffs, then I think we got to applaud him and say he's done the best he can do, you know, in spite of all the circumstances. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Hope that hope that answers your question, Ryan. We still got a little bit more uh, NFL that we have to get into. Um, I, I hate the... You know, we got to keep going back to the to the Washington talk. But uh, Dan Snyder is looking into selling the team. Uh, if you guys tuned into the live on Friday with uh, myself and Eric, we spoke about Jay-Z and Jeff Bezos uh, trying to, you know, possibly team up to throw their hat in the ring to uh, to buy the, uh, the Washington Commanders. But uh, just today, reports came out that Kevin Durant is also interesting, interested 
and uh, forming some type of investment group to purchase the uh, the Washington Commanders. I think Kevin Durant has a lot going on on his own sport <laughs> that he needs to be focused on right now and not worried about buying the Washington Commanders. But, you know, I always love a brother trying to expand his portfolio. I agree. Um, if he can be a part of that group, I think it would be amazing. I don't know, and somebody can correct me when they see this on the, in the chat, I don't know if it's considered a, a conflict of interest being that he's a current player in another league. Um, and not that I think it's a conflict of interest. I, I just I just wonder how other owners will look at it. You know, is it a conflict because he already has so many relationships with players? Um, I believe he he gave a signed jersey, a game jersey to somebody on the commanders uh, Friday night when they were in D.C. So I don't know if owners will look at that in a negative way that, hey, he has relationships with players in the league and him as an owner could affect how negotiations go in, in this and a third. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if he can be a part of a group, I think that would be great as well. And great for him and great for his portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I, I'm i all for it. Um, the NFL needs uh, a little melanin in that, in that ownership uh, pool. So I'm yeah, all for it. We've talked about that plenty of times. <laughs> yes, whether it be Kevin Durant in an in, in, um, in, in, in ownership group, whether it be Jay-Z teaming up with Jeff Bezos, which, which you know, we spoke about also really liking that. Um, but either way, I think it's time to, for Washington – and you know to move on from Snyder, and it's definitely time from Snyder to move on from Washington. So we'll keep you guys posted on how that goes if we actually get some traction with one of these investment groups. Um, before we get and up, it was uh, and I apologize okay. oh, real quick. Sorry, it was uh, Terry McLaurin. He was seen with Terry McLaurin after the game okay. in DC. He had given Terry McLaurin his jersey. That's why I was referencing in, in, in regards to relationships with players across leagues and stuff. Okay. No, no, I got, I, I got you. I got you. Shout out to KD. Uh, two games. We got a preview uh, really quick before we switch over to the NBA. Uh, the Sunday night game, Chiefs-Titans. Uh, obviously, you know, I, you know I'm going with, with, with Patrick Mahomes on this one. I got to take the Chiefs. I don't know what's going on with the, with the Titans' uh, pass game or lack thereof, because it's pretty much been non-existent the past couple of weeks. Whether it's been Tannehill or Willis, it's been horrible. Um, thank, thankfully, they have a, a running back out there by the name of Derrick Henry who can get you over 200 yards in a game and pretty much win a game by his damn self. Um, but I got to take uh, the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, and those guys. That offense is really starting to gel right now. And then they added Kadarius Toney, who's had two weeks now to acclimate himself to that offense. When you combine that with the chemistry that's being built between Mahomes and Juju, uh, obviously we know that the Kelsey chemistry has always been there. McCall Hardman is doing is, is doing better uh, week by week with this team. Now you add a speedster like uh, Kadarius Toney, who's a really good route runner as well. Um, if they could just get a little bit more consistency out of that running game, you know, they're going to be a problem moving forward or even more of a problem than they already are, I should say. Yeah, as we highlighted Friday, I think Mahomes is having his best season since 2018 when he won MVP. Um, we both picked him to win this game. I liked him to win this game. Unfortunately for Malik Willis, making his second career NFL start in Arrowhead in a primetime game and having to look across that sideline and seeing Patrick Mahomes and them guys, it's a, it's a tall task to ask of any quarterback, man. I like Kansas City tonight, and as you highlighted, the weapons are starting to gel. Juju has looked really good the last couple of weeks. Now you add Tony to that. I really like the rookie uh, Pacheco. I like Kansas City in this game. I like them to win comfortably. 
Shout out to Pacheco. That's a that's a uh, Rutgers uh, running back right there, and uh, Rutgers is looking at a lot of my a lot of my guys from uh, from Holy Trinity right now. So big shout out to Pacheco. Shout out to Rutgers, man. Y'all, y'all gonna get some good players uh, coming in, in in the next couple of years. Uh, but you're, so you're going you're going Chiefs in this one too. I like Chiefs. Um, I can double check where the line sits right now, right before we start. I know when we spoke on Friday, the line was like eleven and a half. Yeah. I I think the Chiefs are going to cover that just because. Um, Again, Malik Willis, this is a tall task. They, they're going to have to throw the ball to keep up with Kansas City. Derrick Henry is not going to get 30 carries and be able to just bleed out the clock in this game because Kansas City's defense is a little better now, too, than it's been in the past. Mm-hmm. Kansas City is going to force them to kind of throw the ball. They're going to force them in some uncomfortable situations in the game, and that's why I think Kansas City wins this one pretty easily. Okay. And then the, the Monday night game, uh, we got Baltimore going at um, the, the Saints. Baltimore will be missing – I want to say uh, Lamar Jackson's only <laughs> top tier threat at receiver, Mark Andrews. Um, so he will be out. Does that change things for you? Because I know on a live Friday we both kind of were going with Baltimore to to win this game. But now that you know Mark Andrews won't be playing on Monday Night Football, does that change the outcome for you? Nope, because Baltimore is still the third best team in the AFC. I'm doubling down on what I said Friday night. Uh, and and shout out to Ryan because I was going to say, I think Bateman might be out, but it's all right. Because you know who's been the underrated star of this offense? Devin DuVernay. Mm-hmm. And Devin DuVernay might have a big game Monday night. But I, I like Baltimore anyway because I think they're starting around in the shape. And the record, I think, doesn't do it justice. I'll say it again as I highlighted on uh, Friday. You look at their losses, and in the manner in which they lost, those were all games that they were leading going into the fourth quarter, and they had an opportunity to finish off. The Buffalo game they were winning, the Miami game they were up big, and the Giant game they were up 10. Those are scenarios where you can see, for the most part, Baltimore was the better team, and one or two possessions didn't go their way, and they lost those games. Doesn't change anything for me because I think Baltimore's a really good team, and their record isn't indicative of how good they are. I think they win on, on a Monday night. Andy Dalton, if he play, it don't matter. If if Jameis play, it don't matter. I like Baltimore. I mean, Eric, you know you ain't gonna get me to, to change my opinions. I know I ain't gotta convince you. <laughs> you ain't gotta convince me. If y'all if y'all saw the live on uh Friday, y'all seen I have my Baltimore Ravens uh hat on on Friday, um, because we made a big acquisition by the name of Roquan Smith, who's leading the league in tackles right now, and one of the best linebackers in football right now, stepping into a, a position where the Ravens have lacked that. And we're used to having some of the top linebackers in football playing in Baltimore. They now have Roquan Smith, who's going to change a lot on that defense. I want to actually highlight something that you said, Eric, on, on Friday in regards to, uh, to to Roquan Smith and that defense. You said they were at about uh, 385 uh, yards per game they were giving up on the defensive end of the football. Yep. And, That's and, correct. Yep. And, and they, they're with, averaging, they're giving up 383, to be exact, 383 Total yards per game. Okay, and you said that they will, with the addition of Roquan Smith, that number would start to decrease as the season moves moves forward. Correct? Drastically, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna start Monday night. But every week we could check that number, and I guarantee you're gonna see that number start to come down because of the addition of Roquan. 
I agree. And, and the other thing, the other part to that is, one, you know, I think that is going to be a huge lift for that defense because not only is he is he super talented, he's also going to be the vocal leader that they've been missing on that defense. We know that the, the linebacker is usually the quarterback of the defense, and now they have one of those guys, one of them ones, who is one of the best uh, linebackers in football that will be leading that defense. That's one. And two, listen, you can't replace a Mark Andrews in your offense. He's top three tight end in the league. He's been that for the last two, three seasons. You can't replace that. However, they do have a young kid in Isaiah uh, Likely who was very feasible this past week. And I think we see a repeat performance from him with no Mark Andrews in the lineup. I think he steps his game up a little bit further. You know, I don't know if I could say, you know, Lamar, Lamar Jackson's favorite would be throwing to the tight end, but since that's all he pretty much has had his whole career is the tight end, I, I think that he's going to continue to go to the tight end in this situation. I think uh, likely has a, a similar, if not even better, performance than he had last week. Now that he got the, you know, he was able to shake the, shake the cobwebs off and really get some, some game action, um, you know, now he's going to have his time again. So I think he'll kind of step in and fill that void. You mentioned a guy in DuVernay who, you're right, who has stepped his game up consistently week by week. Um, and then, I mean, Lamar Jackson is just Lamar Jackson. And guess what, guys? He doesn't have a contract right now. And he's coming for all of the money that they said he couldn't have. Lamar Jackson is coming for all that money. He's going to get it back this season times 10. I still got to go with the Baltimore Ravens to win this game against a, a, a Saints team that really don't know what they want to do at the quarterback position right now, whether they want to go back to Jameis, whether they want to stay with, with Dalton. They might even want to give Taysom Hill a try at quarterback now because technically he might have the best uh, QBR <laughs> out of all the quarterbacks in uh, New Orleans right now. Um, so, yeah, my pick stays the same. I'm, I'm still going with Baltimore in the Monday night game. Um, with that being said, though, let's talk some NBA. Uh, we got to we got to talk Kyrie again, just because you know the, the suspensions have been laid out not only by the NBA but also by Nike. The Kyrie eight was supposed to drop uh, next month. Uh, excuse me, this this week rather. I'm sorry. On November eighth, the Kyrie eight was supposed to drop. Nike has suspended their relationship uh, with with Kyrie Irving right now, so that sneaker will not be dropping on on November eighth. And then there was a list given to Kyrie Irving that he needs to to check off. I think there's about six things on the list that he needs to comply with in order for him to return uh, to the court. When you saw the list that they gave Kyrie, what, what were your thoughts on, on, on the list? When I saw the list, I, I thought it further emphasized what I stated on Friday, that I'm not sure if Kyrie Irving ever plays for the Brooklyn Nets again. Because... Just the five-game suspension alone keeps him away from the team for about 12 days, as I mentioned. They, they played the five games over the course of, of a little more than a week and a half. Mm -hmm. So now you add a list of things that need, need to be done within those 12 days, which is almost impossible because the ADL has already said they're not going to accept his donation. So now you got to start from scratch with the ADL and try to rebuild that relationship, which might take a little longer. Now you've, you're asking him to do things that probably can't be done within a one-week schedule. I think this kind of delays his eventual return. And just because he does these things does not mean that the Nets automatically lift the suspension. Because if you listen to the, the wording of the original press release, it was he is not deemed he he's not deemed fit to be part of this team. So it's up to their discretion when they feel he's he's fit to be part of this team. 
even if that checklist is done, but Josiah feels like, hey, you still not getting it or mentally we're or, or we're not on the same page here about it. They might hold him out for another week, which is another thing on the checklist. He's got to meet with the ownership group and figure this thing out. We talked about it on Friday trip and I told you ownership, specifically Josiah, is upset with Kyrie because of the lack of communication with Kyrie. And he feels he has bent over backwards to try to appease Kyrie over the last year and a half. So I don't think he plays for the Nets. I think this is all the signals of him being out of Brooklyn probably by the end of this month. All right, so just 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 for you guys at home, I want to just I want to read the list so you guys know exactly what's on the list that Kyrie is supposed to be following. Uh, first, he needs to apologize slash uh, condemn the movie that he tweeted about. Secondly, uh, he needs to make a five hundred thousand dollar donation to anti hate causes. Third, he needs sensitivity training. Fourth, he needs anti Semitic training. Five, he needs to meet with the ADL and Jewish leaders. Six, he needs to meet with Joe Sy to demonstrate, I guess, quote unquote, understanding whatever, whatever that means. I don't, you know, I don't know specifically what that means, but those are what, those are the list of things that Kyrie is going to have to do if he does want to return and play basketball for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, you know, when we spoke about this on Friday. We spoke about, you know, Kyrie being Kyrie and doing Kyrie things. Um, listen, I think there are ways to go about things and there are ways that you don't go about things. And I think that when you tweet a controversial documentary without any subcontext to that, you leave yourself open to this type of scrutiny. I, you know, I think that it's, again, it's, I don't, I don't believe Kyrie did anything wrong in posting about the documentary, but I do think there's a responsibility that comes along with just posting something like like that when you know the type of climate that this country is in right now when it comes to to race relations. You can't just you know post things like that and not have any type of breakdown of why you're posting it what you're posting it for in the moment, what, what was going through your mind at the time. You, Kyrie literally just posted the picture of the documentary and that's it. So now, you know, you when that happens, obviously a lot of people are just going to go to the worst possible, you know, outcomes in that situation. That's, and that's what we have now. That's where Kyrie is at right now where he's dealing with the worst possible response that he could have gotten from that. And, it could cost him his tenure with the Brooklyn Nets. Could possibly cost him his NBA career. <clears throat> um, I know Kyrie has kind of he he did make somewhat of an apology. I don't know how you know people feel about it. My thing with apologies is, do they really matter? Because you never know how a person really feels if they're actually changed. If they have a changed mindset, or if they're just apologizing because. You scolded me and you took things away from me and you could possibly take more things away from me. So let me just apologize and get it out the way. I don't know if that's the case with Kyrie. I can't speak on his personal mindset and, and what's going what's going through his head. So I can't say in that regard. Um, but all I can say is I, I hope that he's able to to get past this because, you know, I, I, I mentioned I mentioned that list to you. Uh, Eric, but I want to mention another list to you as 
as as well. And um, these are just just a list of some of the things that Kyrie has done off the basketball court. Um, donated $323,000 to Feed in America. Partnered with City Harvest to ensure 250,000 meals were distributed to New Yorkers. Shout out to City Harvest because I literally just did an event with them uh, two days ago. Uh, partnered with Nike to donate 17 pallets of food and masks to Standing Rock Sioux uh, Tribe. He committed $1.5 million to help pay WNBA players who opted out of the 2020 season. Paid off the college tuition of nine HBCU students from Lincoln University. And purchased, purchased a house for the family of George Floyd, which was, and that was according to, uh, you know, somebody that we both rock with, Stephen Jackson. So, and, and the reason why I, 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 I said that list as well, because I do want to be clear that, you know, off the court, Kyrie is someone who is very involved. Despite how you feel about what he posts or what he says, he's very involved. He gives a lot back to the community. Um, he's donated a lot of money. He's donated time, you know, food. So I do want to just, you know, kind of preface that a little bit just so you guys at home, who I don't want you to just think, oh, this is just some another basketball player who's anti-Semitic, and that's the end of the story. Kyrie is very involved in, in our community, and he's, he's been doing things within the community for a very long time and, and throughout the world for a very long time. So I, I do want to say that. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the second list because um, we talked about it on Friday. And as I mentioned, I don't, I don't think Kyrie is a bad person. Yes. The critique I've had of Kyrie is as a basketball player and what he's done as a player. But I love the second list because it, it speaks to who he is as a man. Where Kyrie went wrong here, as I've said several times, is not the post. And I think too many people are making the post the issue. The post is not what the issue is. The issue became when Kyrie was questioned about the post, the stance he took. Yes. Because as we've heard so many times, whether you watch the documentary or read the book or haven't watched the documentary or read the book, there are some false statements and false narratives that are painted in there about Jewish people. And I want to just give an example. If I'm wrong, again, I I would have no problem with somebody saying you're wrong for saying this or correcting me. Trip, you spend a lot of time around me. You know me personally. You know my family. We've worked together and we spent time just as friends, right? Mm -hmm. If I went on social media and people who don't know me, right, if they saw me just post a picture of the Confederate flag, there would be people who would be like, what is this about? What are you promoting? Yeah. Right. They don't know me as a man. They just see the post. When you question me about it, you or anyone, that's my opportunity to explain what I'm posting. Absolutely. Right. We know what that flag represents in this country. So I may be posting it just to create conversation. I may be posting it with a deeper motive behind it. But once I post it, I know I'm going to get a reaction. And now that's my opportunity to answer those questions for the reason of posting it. Kyrie Irving had that opportunity. And instead of him saying anything, he took a defiant stance and said, I'm not promoting anything. I just wanted to post it. I, I, he he yeah. made it seem as if it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, he right. And that, and that's why I keep saying, that's why I keep saying that's where the flaw was made. It was not the post. Let's not focus on the post yeah. because he's not suspended for the post, right? The NBA 
didn't come out and say, hey, he's got to sit down because he posted this. Mm -hmm. And I'll take it a step further. I encourage anyone to look this up. Look at Joe Sy, the owner of the Nets. Look at his tweet after Kyrie posted that. He didn't condemn Kyrie. He said in his own post, I would love to sit down with Kyrie and speak to him and maybe educate him on certain things that he may not understand. He never said Kyrie was an idiot. He never said, what the hell are you doing, Kyrie? He said, I would love to sit down and speak with him. Again, create dialogue. I just want to know what you were thinking when you posted this. Or maybe there's a deeper meaning that I don't understand. Yeah. But Kyrie never took that opportunity. Kyrie continued to double and triple down and say things that just made it even more confusing for everyone. And people have to remember, we highlighted this Friday. When he got suspended, that was a full six days after the post, which means the Nets and the NBA gave him more than enough time to try to explain what was the meaning behind the post. You see the backlash. You see the outrage. You see people questioning, what are your motives? And instead of you answering those questions honestly and speaking to what you were trying to insinuate, promote, or, or create, you left it up for interpretation. So if you leave it up for interpretation, then you leave your employer no choice but to react and respond. The Nets are a business. So the Nets got uh, to protect their bottom line. They can't have people sitting courtside, which they did last week, wearing shirts that are directed at Kyrie Irving because of comments or a post that he made. And I think too many people are fall, uh, are not realizing that. People are thinking that this is solely about a post. It's not about a post. Now, I don't like that the Nets are creating this list of things he has to do to be able to get back on the court. As we've said here, I think that only prolongs the situation and that also kind of creates the room now to get him out of Brooklyn. That's where I think they're going. And, and that list, I think, is also the fallout of everything that's taking place during Kyrie's time in Brooklyn. It's deeper than this post. It's deeper than this list. Kyrie and the Brooklyn Nets have not seen eye to eye for quite some time. And I think we're heading towards a split. But Kyrie Irving had the opportunity to control this narrative and he left it open to interpretation. And when you leave it open to interpretation, you let other people create the narrative. And that's why we've ended up at this point. Yeah, listen, you're absolutely right. You know, that's why I said there's, there's, there's a way to do these things. And the, just the way he went about it led to a whole avalanche <laughs> of consequences that are con still, at, at this point, continuing to come in. Because we don't know who else is going to try to distance themselves from Kyrie Irving because we know that's what happens we, you know, w w in these type of situations. So, again, listen, I, I hope that there is some level of understanding I, I hope that they do have a productive meeting with the JDL and, 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 and Josiah, the NBA, Adam Silver, whoever else needs to be involved. I hope that they can have a very, you know, a, a very healthy conversation to where they, they leave out of that meeting with some type of understanding of one another. And then we can move on from this. Um, because, again, I want to support Kyrie. I want to see him do well. I want to see all our people do well. You know, but listen, there's, there's, there's journeys that you're going to have to travel on in order to get to that place. And right now, this ain't going to be an easy journey that Kyrie has to travel in order to get back to the Nets organization. Um, but I do believe he can do it. So I want to see him get I want to see him get back. But again, th this thing is going to go day by day. Um, I'm sure this is not going to be the last time we speak about Kyrie Irving because obviously we, ha we haven't even seen him start the checklist just yet. So we're still, you know, we're going to be talking about this for a couple of more weeks at least. You know, until there's some type of decision, because right now, you know, it's 
uh, indefinite suspension with a minimum of five games, and then you got to comply to everything on the list. I don't know how that, how this whole thing is going to unfold just because Kyrie is someone that will double down on his stance, and we know he has no problem taking a, se- a season off to, you know, to stand on his principles. So Yeah, I mean – and and like we said Friday, that 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 was uh I don't want to say my issue, because I if he decided to apologize after the suspension, that's his business. Yeah. That was just the only thing I found odd because it was like if you were defiant, stand on that defiance. Don't don't bend the knee and buckle now that they suspending you because I've already I've already refused to publicly apologize. And and if that's what you believe, then that's what you believe. And I respect that as a man. And I'll say this really quickly, man. I was listening to a podcast. And uh, Roger Bell was on it, former NBA player Roger Bell. Roger used to work in the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers front office when when Braun and Kyrie were there. And uh, the podcast host had asked him, like, you know, why why is there this appeal for Kyrie, where you see so many players and people within the league who really love Kyrie because they go to bat for him? And he said it's really tough to define because he didn't have the like a great relationship with Kyrie. It was kind of a working relationship, mm-hmm. but he said seeing Kyrie day in day out. The way Kyrie interacts with people's children, the way Kyrie treats people is kind of the the part of Kyrie that the rest of the world never gets to see. He said he is so charismatic and he's so good with people on a face to face basis that if you've ever encountered him, it's kind of tough for you to to ever want to turn your back or or say something negative about him because you know who he is as a man. And I guess that's what creates this great mystery, because for outsiders like us, for any other media types, we don't get to see that. We only get to see what's on the court. We only get to see the press conferences. But for the people that know him, they speak to how, you know, how great he is as a person. And and you mentioned that list. You know, what he did for the Floyd family is amazing. He had no connection to the Floyd family. He didn't have to do that. He did that out the kind of his heart. He didn't have to donate the money to the WNBA. He didn't have to do any of these things that, that you mentioned on that list. Yet he does it on his own with no cameras around. And I think that's what creates the great conflict when we talk about Kyrie. Because we really like him as a man. We just wish that it would translate to the point where the rest of the world and the league could see it that way as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, bro. That that's that's basically what it is, you know. So listen again. I hope there is some type of understanding, and Kyrie can just get back to <coughs> excuse me to playing the sport of basketball game that he loves, because I think you know that's what's best for everybody is to for us to get some understanding and and, and be ready to to move on from this situation with a, with a different type of mindset. Um, NBA injury report. Let's talk about it. A couple of big names going to be out for a little while. Uh, one of which is in Philly right now, James Harden. Uh, he's going to be out for, for at least a month. Then you got uh, Pascal Siakam, former NBA champion with the Toronto Raptors. He's going to be out at least two weeks uh, with a shoulder injury. And uh, Suns, Cam Johnson, has a torn meniscus. So he's going to be out uh, for a little while. My question to you, Eric, which one of these injuries is going to have the biggest impact on their respective team? Uh, so I think all three are, are very interesting because of, of different dynamics they represent. Um, but just to answer your question first, the biggest injury to me is Siakam. Siakam is the go-to guy in Toronto. He's the number one guy in Toronto. Obviously, they have playoff aspirations. It's an opportunity for Scotty Barnes to step up, but Siakam is your go-to guy. In Philly... They expect to get Embiid back. I know he's missed the last two games. He was a little sick. But you're going to get Embiid back, and you'll be fine. And the way Tyrese Maxey's been playing, I mean, Tyrese Maxey right now averaging over 24 points a game. I think you could survive without Harden for a month just based off the way Maxey's playing. With Phoenix, the Cam Johnson injury is interesting 
because they were having issues with Jay Crowder. He's been sitting out this time. And I wonder now if they kind of buckle and get the dialogue with, with uh, Jay going again and try to bring him back into the mix there. But it's got to be Siakam. He's the number one guy in Toronto. That's a huge loss to have. They don't have anybody else of that same skill set. Though Scotty Barnes is close, they don't have a guy who can get you 20 on every night and be a leader of the team. So that's going to be the one to watch. Yeah, I I got I, I got to agree with you on, on on that one, Eric. As much as I feel like you know James Harden being out for a month is a big deal for Philly. They have a guy uh, on the roster who's an MVP caliber player in Joel Embiid who can kind of carry this team. Especially if you're telling me that Maxi is gonna be is gonna continue to play the way that he's been playing, uh, you know, this season. I, I like what I, you know, I like Philly's chances during this time. I think they can kind of maintain. Um, Phoenix, obviously, Cam is a role player, but he's a big part of of that rotation in Phoenix. So they're going to have to make a couple of minor tweaks to uh, to really, you know, kind of fix that, fix the situation in Phoenix just to kind of replace him. Not really replace him, obviously, because he's he is a big part of that roster. But you know, when you still have two All Stars left on the roster with. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, you have, you know, uh, a young up-and-coming big man like DeAndre Ayton. Uh, you know, they, they still have Bridges out there. So they still have guys that can kind of step in and and fill the void for Cam, for Cam Johnson. But when you look at Toronto, you're taking away their best player in Pascal Siakam. Um, you know, one, one of, the, one of the, 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 the better guys in this league – um, and, and that's what you're losing when you when you when you lose uh, Siakam for for these couple of weeks that he's going to be gone for. You mentioned Scotty Barnes, uh, who I who I do like, um, and I hope he can actually you know fill that void. Hopefully they're gonna they're gonna need more from Fled Van, Van Fleet, uh, OG and Newby as as well to kind of hold it down. But ultimately, I think that you know that Toronto team is going to to struggle uh, with. You know, in the absence of Pascal Siakam, um, right now in the in the standings, Toronto is in fifth place at five and four. You're talking about losing your best player for two weeks. Might be kind of tough to maintain that fifth seed in a in a very competitive Eastern Conference uh, without Pascal Siakam. But again, listen, guys, guys do step up during these times. So I want to see who's going to step up and be that guy to, or guys, you know, because it could be a, a collection of guys to kind of to, to fill the void that you lose without having your best player on the roster. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great point because tonight, that's what they're getting. As, as you were speaking on it, I went to just check. They're playing the Bulls tonight. They're winning right now in the fourth quarter. But uh, Van Fleet has played well. He's got 30 and 11. You got uh, Scotty Barnes with 19 and 10. And then OG is giving them 20 and 5 tonight. So it is a collective of the three other guys having to step up. And like I said, this is a great opportunity. I think Scotty Barnes is a really good young player. He's going to get more opportunities and get more shots. He got 19 shots on the board tonight. Only only Fred Van Fleet has more shots than him. So they're going to run him a little bit more for Scotty Barnes. But you're right. Over the course of two weeks, we'll get a better idea of if they, they can keep up that level. And then you also got to assume that just be, just because he's only out for two weeks doesn't mean he's going to come back and be that same performer. It may take another week or two for him to get back to where he was playing at. Um, but Pascal is an all-star in this league, and that's always going to be felt uh, in comparison to Philly. Like you said, they got Embiid. They got Maxi, They still got Tobias Harris. They got pieces there, so they can survive without Harden. The Toronto one, that that's a little tougher. Yeah, 
I agree, absolutely. Um, and then really quick before we before we leave the NBA, we got to shout out the Bucks. Still the only undefeated team left in the NBA at nine and zero. I shared a little funny uh, video from uh, Giannis into the into the group chat the other day where he's like, "Oh man, I'm athletic. I could dunk. I'm handsome. I'm this. I'm that." You know, God had to had to you know humble me somehow, so He made it so that I can't shoot threes. Um, but you gotta love this kid, man. He is an amazing talent. He is the best player in basketball right now, and I think he's going to continue to be the best player in basketball for the foreseeable future because he is an elite talent on both sides of the basketball. And that, as far as the top guys go in this league, as much as I love Luka, he's explosive on the offensive end of the basketball, but he is not anywhere close to being elite on the defensive end. Um, Joel Embiid, who I love, is one of those guys who is elite on both sides of the basketball. But then you go to our back-to-back MVP, who you know I don't, I didn't agree with that with that vote. He's not an elite two-way player with uh, in, in Jokic, explosive, great offensive player, can do so many things on the offensive end, but he's not an elite two-way player. He doesn't play that level of, of defense. He'll get out there and guard you, but he ain't playing at an elite level. Um, so I still, I still would say, would say Giannis is going to beat that for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean Giannis is a video game creation. He's a guy that you would create on two K. Um, in terms of you know he could play all five positions, he could do it all. Like I said, obviously he doesn't shoot threes that well, and there are some nights where he still struggles from the free throw line. But everything else is is phenomenal. He's a great leader for that team. Uh, I love the clip. It was circulating. Everybody was laughing about it. Uh, you talked about that clip, but there's another one where he wanted to get his brother in the game the other night. Yes. And he purposely dribbled the ball out of bounds just to make sure his brother got them last 30 seconds in. Mm-hmm. But that speaks to leadership. You know what I'm saying? that That's going to mean so much to his brother or any other bench player than it would to him. He don't need them last 30 seconds to do what he's been doing. Yep. Um, but I, I'm going to be watching them a lot over the next uh, 10 days, man. They got some good games coming up. They're 9-0 right now. They're, they're leading the pack in the, in the East as well as in the league, best record in the league. But they got two games with Atlanta and a game with Cleveland coming up all within the next uh, next 10 days which are going to be very good games to watch because all three of those teams, I think, have been playing really well. Listen, how, how my um how, how they said it at the Carter? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> and we saw that. There you that, go. Man, that man got a turnover on his stat sheet for the night just so his brother And then walk right past Coach Bud. Yes. And then walk right past him like, I'm not even going to look at you. That's exactly. my brother. He got to get in there. Yeah, that's what we're doing outside. So <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Accept it. You know what I'm saying? you. I'm here. He's here. That's it. You know, listen, the only other person who I know that really put in that type of work for their brother in the, in the league is J.R. Smith because I don't know how Chris Smith managed to get a contract with the he Knicks. Got, he got it. He did get his brother a contract. <laughs> he, he did get him a contract, contract over there. So I got to rank those two up there right there. I'm actually going to have to rank the J.R. Smith one a little bit higher because he got him a contract. Even though I'm sure Giannis is a big part of the reason that the Nets is. But the Nets is, should be... In the, I think the Nassus was on that Laker team that won in the bubble, right? No, that was Costas. It's, it's, there's a lot of the oh, that was Costas. My fault. My fault. I mean, Giannis getting everybody a deal though. You know what I'm saying? Giannis take care is. of everybody, but that's how you're supposed to do it. And they got a movie deal too. He just did the. Um, they got the movie on Disney as well. Uh, it's like it's a biopic of of Giannis. And his journey to getting to the NBA, him, him and and uh, the Nassus because they were both on check. Actually, the Nassus was the better of the two as they were growing up, but he wound up dealing with an injury and I kind of set him back and Giannis just took that thing to the next stratosphere. And uh, ultimately we see where, where they are right now. 
there's um I want to say there's there's four of the brothers that are either between the the NBA and the G League uh right now. Um but yeah man, you got to you got to take care of family and that's that's what Giannis was doing. Uh, really quick before we switch over and talk um, World Series, because you did say the World Series would be over by, by the time we got uh, back on on live on Sunday. But uh, make sure you guys are following us on all our social media. Uh, RealFansRealTalk.com is the website. If you are not in the New York City area and you can't watch us on Verizon 43 from 8 to 9 p.m. on Thursday night, you can click on that website and you can watch live from anywhere you are at in the world. And again, Facebook.com, you see it up on the screen right now, Facebook.com forward slash Real Fans Real Talk, YouTube.com forward slash For The Fans Productions, and of course, Twitter and Instagram at Real Fan Talk. Um, so make sure you guys are tuned in. Also, make sure you support the podcast as well, the Sanchez Show podcast, as as well as uh, Real Fans Real Talk podcast. And again, for our grown and sexy uh, crowd, Y'all can still rock out with us on, on Thursdays and Sunday nights on the on the Shooting the Shit podcast that we do with our brother, Sean Fontaine. So make sure you guys are subscribed to everything because we got a whole lot of content coming for you guys. Uh, we're going to end off the year very strong and open up 2023 20, uh, even stronger uh, with a lot of content for you guys. So make sure you guys stay tuned in with that one. And uh, with that being said, let's talk World Series, Eric. Obviously, it's not neither one of the teams that we wanted to see play in the World Series, but yeah. you know it is what it is. We got to still talk about it. Uh, Houston, Houston won four games to two. Uh, I will say this: as much as I don't like Houston, I do love the fact that a, a black manager in Dusty Baker, who I think is is very well deserved, finally got his chance um, at holding that that trophy up and and being a, a World Series championship uh GM you got to love that for him uh but Eric talk to me about the World Series man it was kind of short it was well I mean it, it went six it went what I thought it would and as you mentioned on Friday I said it, it's probably going to be over um it wasn't the two teams we wanted we were hoping for a subway series but the one thing I will never do is disrespect greatness and I think this Houston team is truly great this is a modern day dynasty people They've been to the World Series four times in the last six years. They won two of those. They had to deal with the cheating scandal a couple of years ago and bounce back from that and still made two World Series after that. Dusty Baker's resume is complete now. Hall of Fame manager. He had been to the World Series before. He should have won with the Giants and Barry Bonds, and, and that one got away from them late, but he makes it right here. And for Houston, the reason I call him a modern-day dynasty, because the way free agency works and the way you lose guys, for them to still be able to do this, when you look at the first time they won the World Series compared to now, look at some of the guys that were on that team that are no longer there. George Springer, all-star player. Carlos Correa, all-star player. Garrett Cole, all-star pitcher. You lose your manager, replace him with another manager, and still find a way to continue to thrive and be there. This is truly a great team, great franchise. Kudos to Dusty Baker. I, to me, that was the most enjoyment I saw. Like The way the team reacted to Dusty Baker, you saw – all the coaches getting around him and celebrating with him and then hearing him on a podium talking about we're about to party tonight, truly deserve it. This is a guy who's been a part of Major League Baseball for 50 years, and now he had his moment. So congratulations to Houston. Exactly. Congratulations to the Astros. Uh, congratulations to Dusty Baker. And you mentioned the guys that are no longer on the roster in addition to some new guys that are on the roster. And one of those new guys just so happened to be named the World, uh, World Series MVP and um, that that was Jeremy Pena. Um, 
you know, you got to tip your hat to that young man as a rookie to come into to a very competitive league and to not only help your team get to the World Series, but to be named MVP as a rookie. That is a very, very, very big deal, and we need to put a lot of respect on that young man's name for accomplishing that feat. Yeah, he's the first positional player as a rookie to win MVP of the World Series. He's the second overall. The first one was, was a pitcher, whoever did it, but first positional player, but not only MVP of the World Series, he was MVP of the ALCS, yes. and he also won a gold glove at shortstop. Uh, I think he's the first person to ever have that trifecta within a season. And he had to replace Carlos Correa, who was a fan favorite in Houston. And Carlos Correa was an all-star himself. So for Jeremy Pena to come in, like you said, and take on that responsibility, you're replacing a fan favorite, but then perform in the playoffs was amazing. And it's also a, a testament to Dusty Baker because someone had asked Dusty during the ALCS, you know, Jeremy Pena really struggled early in the season. If you look back at his numbers, it was a point where he was hitting under 200. And Dusty said, I'm going to keep batting him second because I know how good this kid is. He's going to perform when it matters. And guess what? When it mattered, Jeremy Pena did, man. So kudos to him. And I don't even know how your career gets any better than as a rookie doing all those things. But I guess I guess it's only up from here, right? That's what they say. Well, I mean, you're already at the peak, so you got to – I don't know if you – can you get any higher than this? Does it get Does it get any better? Well, I mean, I guess it was. I, I mean, You'd have to get the MVP or Triple Crown or something like that. For for it to, uh, to 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 be better than this, like that's probably the only. I mean, unless he has a, unless he has like a, a Derek Jeter type career where he's in the World Series damn near every year. I mean, that's the only that's the only thing that's next because MVP of the World Series, MVP of the ALCS, and I've already won a Gold Glove. I mean, I, I don't know what could be next. Yeah, what, what what else what else is there? While you're talking about awards, though, I do want to acknowledge my guy Aaron Judge. Uh, he was a, he was voted Player of the Year um, by the by the by the players. So I do want to shout out my guy. I'm sure he'll, they'll be announcing once they get ready to announce the MVP. He's going to be named MVP as well. But for now, he is uh, has been voted by his peers as the 2022 uh, MLB Player of the Year. So I want to tip my hat to my guy on that. Um, I know you got some good news, Eric, uh, over over in Queens. You guys re-upped on a very good young talent as well. Uh, you want to talk about the the, the extension uh, that the Mets gave to uh, to Diaz? Edwin Diaz, five years, $102 million, well-deserved. Um, it had already been noted he was going to be the top priority of the Mets. So I'm happy that they were able to hash this out very quickly and then move on to some other big things we need to take care of specifically Jacob deGrom but Edwin Diaz earned this money man he came in he struggled his first year and a half as a Met but he didn't run from the criticism he took it on the chin he understood Met fans New York fans demand the best for me I got to be better this year was a culmination of all that got through the struggles got through the storm now I'm an all-star closer probably was the best closer in baseball this year the trumpets had the city going crazy, so it was well-deserved. He truly earned this money, bro. From what he went through his first year and a half as a Met to now, he truly earned that, and I'm so happy he's back with the Mets. And listen, Eric, you know, one thing that we are always for on this show is these young men and women getting to the bag. Um, he he has shown and proven um, his worth to this to this Mets organization, and uh, he was he was compensated for that. Very, very handsomely. He was compensated very handsomely uh, for for his play uh, this season, and he will be locked in with the Mets for another couple of years. Um, 
My man Ryan is he he on it tonight. Ryan, you on I, it. Shout out to Ryan. No, no. Hey, listen. Ryan, we applaud you, man. We thank you. We thank you so much for taking the time to rock with us, man. I was about to ask you this question, Trip, but since you you noticed it, I mean, listen, for the people who can't see the questions, Ryan asks, does Judge come back? Hold on, because I think, do I got, hold on, I think I got something right, right here for, just, just for that question right there. Hold, hold on one second. Okay. I mean, I, I. I, I think I know. I think I know what your answer will be. But let's see. Let's see what you got. I can't. I can't find my, my. I can't find my Yankee fitted right now. But you know how the colleges do when the recruits come in and they and they and they put the hat on of the team on signing day. Yeah, on was, signing day. Yeah. And I, I literally just had my my Yankee fitted in my hand because I was saving it for a moment, just like this one. But to answer your question, Ryan, yes, Aaron Judge will be back with the New York Yankees next season. They're gonna lock him in. They're gonna do the right thing. They're gonna give him his money. And he will be locked in with the Yankees for a very long time. So, Ryan, you can enjoy saying here comes the judge. Probably, you know, for the rest of his career, he's going to be a Yankee. He's going to retire a Yankee. He's going to get that Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams, Jorge Posada love from the city of New York because he will be a lifetime Yankee. I agree. I think, I think he comes back to, to the Yankees as well. He loves it there. They love him. Um, I don't see too many options in terms of teams he can go to. Um, I don't think the Mets are going to be in on him bidding because the Mets still got to take care of DeGrom as well as some other free agents. So I think the Mets will kind of sit that one out. Um, I don't see Boston in the mix. Dodgers won't be in the mix because the Dodgers got a lot of stuff. They got to figure out with their roster as well. The only team I could think of that could be in the mix, but I don't know if they're going to be willing to go to that price tag would be the San Francisco Giants because he's from that area and him and Bonds have a, a great relationship. See, Ryan just commented as well. Uh, the Giants could be in the mix. I just don't know if they're going to be willing to go to that number because his his annual salary is going to be close to $40 million a year. And historically, they've been a team that's kind of shied away from those type of numbers. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I do I do know that he does have some some ties out there. But uh, ultimately, the same, the same way we talk about, about Brooklyn being Deontay Wilder's home, away from home, this is his home, away from home, and it's going to be his home. I, He's loved and revered here in New York. And, you know, he, Aaron Judge right now, he's the number one athlete in New York right now. Slow down. Slow down, son. Sorry, he Slow is. Down, son. He is. He's, he's number not one. the number one. Number Especially one. Especially after he get named MVP. Oh, he's going to win MVP. He's, he's, he's going to win MVP. And 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 like I said, Giants got to be on that list. And to Ron's point, you got to watch the Giants though, because I thought it was very telling how glowingly he spoke about Barry Bonds. Him and Bonds got a relationship, yes. like friendship type respect and friendship type. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bonds speak highly of the Giants organization and lets them know, like you know, you come here. There's a lot of things you can do, but it's 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 very t- it's going to be very tough to walk away from from the Yankees unless the Yankees offer is nowhere close. And again, the Giants would have to be willing to get to at least close to forty million. He's going to want a Mike Trout type contract. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think the Giants might have to walk away from. Him. But in terms of number one, like popularity, you mean in New York? Yeah, I think he's he's just going to be the number one guy because, I mean, who else, who 
I think Saquon's more popular than him. Yeah, but the thing, Saquon is very popular, but Saquon doesn't have the resume that Aaron Judge has yet. He's still, he has to, you know, and, and again, I love Saquon. You, you see the hat I got on today. I love Saquon. That's my guy. I'm mm-hmm. so happy he's been healthy and he's looking like the Saquon Barkley that the Giants drafted with the number two overall pick. But at the end of the day, you still got to you, you have to stay on the field. You have to get to the playoffs, which I think they'll do this season. You got to make a little bit of push in the playoffs. Whereas, you know, with Aaron Judge, he's going to be an MVP in this league. Um, in within the next couple of weeks, he'll be named MVP of the American League. The Yankees are a legitimate playoff team. They've been that for a couple of years. So I got to give the edge to Aaron Judge. Now, that could change if the Giants go on a deep playoff run this year, and, and it's because of Saquon Barkley and what he does on the field. You know, he could kind of catch up, make it close. But you still, at the end of the day, you have to – have a, a a better resume than Aaron Judge, and right now I don't think there's any athlete playing on a New York franchise, you know, that has the the resume that he has and has played in 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 New York. Because obviously we know Kevin Durant has three championships, but he right. but in New York he doesn't have the resume that Aaron Judge has. No, that that's a fact. Because I was gonna say in terms of popularity, I think Kevin Durant is above him. But in terms of New York, like the true New York fan base, yes. Kevin Durant isn't above him. Because Kevin Durant just hasn't done enough. He hasn't been in New York long enough. Yeah. But I do think Saquon, in terms of popularity, is there because of the profile he came into the league with. Yes. And then because a lot, a lot, remember, you gotta remember a lot of these kids don't watch full games. They watch the highlights. So when yes. they see all the things that Saquon can do, it's it's always that ooh and ah factor with Saquon and how graceful he is and how powerful he can be on the field. Um for us, I think I agree. I think Judge is the guy because we watch all these sports and we know, but for the kids and the younger generation, I, I think it's Saquon, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Listen, just be on the lookout for that that MVP celebration because you know I, I will have all of my Yankee fitteds on deck for the 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 announcement of the official announcement of Aaron Judge as the American League MVP. Um, and he's accomplished a lot of great things this season, passing uh, Roger Maris. Um, and and I will just to go back to the relationship with Barry though. I will one of the things that that you and I both really loved and respected about Aaron Judge was his acknowledgement of Barry Bonds as the home run king. So that I, I you know, I will say in regards to their relationship, and we both, you know, love the love that he said that, especially for someone that could, you know, was really breaking the record, uh, you know, officially. I mean, obviously, he broke the American League, but not the all time. And the guys that are ahead of him on this list. And again, I don't I don't even count my man Barry in that. The people, some people do. I don't count him in that because he ain't never have no positive tests. But the other guys that are ahead of him on the on the uh, home run list in uh, single season have tested positive. The the Mark McGuire's, the Sammy Sosa's, those guys do have those positive tests. With Barry, I still you know stake my claim that he ain't had no positive tests, so I ain't gonna put that on him. But to give him that respect, because when you look at how he's perceived by many people that don't give him that respect or want to put an asterisk by his name and by his home run record for Aaron Judge to acknowledge that that is a a level of respect you know for his peers and, and the guys that came ahead of him so you know you got to love that I agree so with that being said though what else we got we got we got one more quick thing left well two things really quick left on on the rundown I was hurt this week. Uh, Alabama lost in overtime on 
on a on a two point conversion had me sick. Pretty much uh, blew their chances of making it to the playoffs this year and, and competing for a national championship. They'll get a bowl game, of course, uh, but it won't be they won't be able to compete for the national championship unless there's like a total collapse in the top ten within right, the next they, couple of weeks. Can they still win the SEC? I believe they can. They can. They can win the SEC championship game because I think they'll play an SEC championship game. Still, they still have a chance at that. But I don't think it will be enough to push them into the top four, like unless um, several teams like just <laughs> fall off the face of the earth, basically over the next. Uh, I think couple of weeks. That might be their path. I'm. I'm not looking at it right now, but that might be uh, their their path because Clemson lost yesterday. Mm-hmm. Who's the top four team, and they lost to an unranked team, so that's gonna that's gonna yeah. hurt their their rankings drastically. But Ohio State and Michigan still have to play each other, so one of them is gonna knock the other one off. So there might be a path. We got to see what the new rankings look like on Monday, though. But that might be Alabama's only path. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, I'm very disappointed in them this week. I, I don't know what happened with the defense because Bryce Young did everything he possibly could in that game to continue driving them down the field and putting them in position to win that game. And I don't, not just getting there and then coming up short, getting there and scoring touchdowns. The defense did not help Alabama at all. So they've got some, some, some work that they need to do. I know Nick Saban is going to be barking on them for a very long time to get them back in, in order. Um, but there's one team that is undefeated right now in college. And- and and don't forget, uh, I'm sorry, because mm-hmm. Tennessee lost yesterday too. Yes. So oh, they, yes, there's right. two top four. They lost, four, they lost two to top the number three team. So I don't think they'll they'll probably still be in the top four uh, when the rankings come out. I like I can't even see them going past four just because they lost to the number three seed. So usually how it works is when you're undefeated and you lose to a team ranked that high, usually you won't get bumped out of the top four um, just because the other teams all have have losses. So I think they'll still be in, in the top four. So they'd have to lose again. So and, and they'd have to lose to an unranked team or a team that's maybe like in the back uh, 15 to, to 20, 25. Well, that's, that's what I was saying. I got to double check on, on that SEC because Tennessee is SEC um, as, as is Alabama. But um, both of them losing a ranked team. Like I think Alabama was six coming into this game. Yes. So there is going to be there's got to be some sort of dip. But they lost to a top ten team on the road. Yeah. So I don't think it'll be a drastic dip. And then when you look at the way the rest of the top four shaped out, Tennessee losing, Clemson losing, I think there could be a path. I got to double check how the SEC plays out for them because if they can still run the table and win the SEC, yeah, they may have. A I could see them still getting in as a number four. Yeah, because I, I could see them still getting in as a number four. Here's the thing: I don't think they fall out of the top ten with this loss because again, it was on the road against a, a ranked opponent in a, a very close game. So I don't think they fall out of the top 10 um, just based off a of strength of schedule. But, again, it's still going to take some work for them to get to back to the to, to be in the midst of the playoffs. Right. So with that being said, though, now we got to talk about an undefeated team in college football. We got to put a lot of respect on their names um, just because my main man and your main man, Deion Sanders, is down there coaching up a storm, turning HBCUs upside down and, and shining a light on, on these gentlemen that 
should be there, should have been there, but hasn't been there. But he's shining a, a, a very bright light on, on, on these young men over at Jackson State. And obviously, I know they're in the SWAT conference. Uh, my man Dion, they got to watch his videos about the SWAT conference. But who is SWAT? Who is SWAT? <laughs> exactly. Um, but they are at 9 and 0 right now on the season undefeated. And, you know, they are knocking on the doors, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. They are knocking on the doors. And they're about to kick them doors down really soon with the help of, of Deion Sanders, who is a great leader of men and a great coach on the field. Well, yeah, as we talked about it Friday, first and foremost, um, whenever the day comes that Jay-Z owns an NFL franchise, whether it's with this commanders group that he's trying to put together with, with Jeff Bezos or any other um, team, organization, we would like Deion Sanders to be the coach because Tripp and I have already put in our applications to be the first fans of that organization with Jay-Z as the owner and Deion as the head coach. But on the college circuit, Deion Sanders is applying a lot of pressure. You know what I'm saying? And, and the communities we come from, Trip, we know what that means. He's going to put pressure on y'all because one of you power five schools is going to have to play Jackson State soon. You're going to have to put them on your schedule. You're going to have to bring them into your stadium because you know the type of tickets it will sell. You know the type of attention it will bring. And ultimately, that's the biggest win for Dion. If he can take an HBCU like Jackson State and get them in a marquee stadium for a marquee matchup on national television – then he has completed his goal there and he's won. He will be able to prove to everyone that we have enough talent here at the HBCUs to compete with the Power Fives. And like he's always said, we should get just as many invites to the combine. We should have just as many scouts watching our boys play as well because we have equal talent. So Dion is getting closer and closer to accomplishing that goal. Absolutely, absolutely. One last question um, sent to me on Facebook earlier today in regards to the refs, Eric. Um, and, and this is, you can really talk about the refs in all sports across the board. They're, you know, I mean, we're always talking about, oh, man, the ref got that call wrong. The ref got this call wrong. Um, is, there, is, is there ever going to be a time, one, where there's no ref, and two, um, what can be done to improve on the refs that we feel like aren't good refs right now? Um, in terms of no refs ever, I don't think we'll ever get to that point because all leagues have said they still want to keep that human element, no matter how good or bad it is, as part of the game. Um, so to go completely, you know, computerized where everything is called from a booth, that'd be a little tough. And that slows down the game a little bit because we see what the replays do to the game. Now, in order to improve the refs, though, I've always felt one of the key areas that people don't really talk about is the age difference. You got guys who are most times in their fifties and sixties mm -hmm. trying to cover a game that is played by guys that are in their twenties and thirties and the athleticism ain't the same and the energy ain't the same. And guys got to get up and down the field of court. And you're asking somebody to do something that's kind of out of their physical limitations. Why not start training some of these guys who maybe were college athletes, but never made it to the pros. Why not start training them to be officials? Because physically, they'll be able to keep up with the game. The eye is sharper. The body's better. And maybe we'll get a, a sharper version of, of officials and referees. Yeah, I, I actually love that. <laughs> I'm not, I don't even have to say nothing else because I actually love the, what, you, what you said right there, Eric. I think that's a great idea to start off, off younger um, and training these refs. And I, and I do think one thing I will add to that is I don't know what kind of training they have yearly. Um, but I, I would maybe try to tweak whatever training that they have, maybe add on to some things just to kind of, you know, because we, we're, again, I, how many Sundays have 
you've been watching football or Thursday night watching NBA game and you're like, oh my goodness, the, the ref has blown another call after another call. That was a BS call. That was, you know what I mean? How many times have we all sat and said this about the refs? So I do think there's something um, that does need to be done now because obviously we can't just swap out all of the refs and then bring in young kids right now. That's a process that we'd have to, right. you know what I mean? But for now, we can kind of add some more training or, you know, just different different things to, to kind of help with the with, with the refs out because, you know, a lot of times it's just like, oh, my goodness, you guys are horrible, <laughs> you know? so Yeah, and, and shout out to Ryan because uh, Ryan's 1,000% correct. It, it's, it's a very tough job, and, and I would never um, tell an official, you know, you're terrible at it because – it's something that I've never done. So it's a tough job to be out there and be mindful and have the awareness of everything that's going on on the court or on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that it's we sometimes forget, like we talk all the time about how the games have gotten bigger, stronger, faster, the players. Right. But the officials aren't progressing in that same rate either. And I know in the NBA, it's a little different. You start off smaller high school then work your way to college, then then got to work your way into the NBA. But a lot of times you're still talking about somebody who might be in their forties or fifties by the time they get there. And you're asking them to run up and down the court with a 20 year old and be able to call every, every call correctly and, and be on top of everything that's going on. I think it's a, it's a lot to ask of someone who physically can't keep up with the players. Yeah. And, and something Ryan said too in, in the comments, um, which is taken into account as well. It's, it's hard for, for guys to be officials because you do have to take a lot of backlash from not only players, but from fans, from family members, from friends. So there's a lot that goes into uh, to, to, to that. Everyone thinks they could do the job, but they can't. Exactly. But uh, listen, guys, with that being said, because we on a, we on, we, we definitely on, on overtime. We've been, yo, Eric, we've been working hard these past couple of weeks, man. We got to get back. Yeah, man. We, we got to get back in game shape, do what Leonard Fournette was supposed to be doing. Uh, but make sure you guys continue to follow <laughs> us on all our social media. Subscribe to that Sanchez show. Subscribe to Real Fans Real Talk. With that being said, for myself, Trip Young, and my brother, Legend in Two Games, Eric Sanchez, we up out of here. Peace. Peace. This is your African King of Come, Michael Blackson. You watching real friends, real talk. Get real with it, my son. Real fans, real talk, we as real as you thought.